energy. I am done talking about Mac Jones. As far as I am concerned, Mac Jones is no longer on the New England Patriots. The passion. I am very, very happy that the state of Vermont has legalized sports gambling. I just don't know if after my weekend, I can partake in it anymore. The opinions on all your favorite teams. This isn't Craig Breslow's fault. The Red Sox are not the Red Sox of old, but it's an ownership directive. Direct your anger at them. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday. Brady Farkas Show, WDEB AM and FM, and WDEBradio.com. We're up till 645 tonight. Then we've got high school basketball. Brent Curtis on the call at Montpelier, the home of the Solons, as they take on uh, Linden tonight on Boys Hoops. So Brent will be there, 645 pregame show, 7 o'clock with the tip-off. we got a lot to get to. Tom Karen, MB, uh, NBC Sports Boston. Tom Curran, NBC Sports Boston. Tom Karen over at Nesson is going to be with us at about 610, talk about some Red Sox. We do have some Red Sox news before TC gets on as well. We'll talk about the Celtics making a trade and some other possible moves that they might make. And uh, got some news on the Patriots as well. A lot of Patriots talk still at the Super Bowl week in Las Vegas. You can get in 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Usually we call him Danny Hoops. Today we're calling him Danny Moneybags. Danny, what? Due I, to hoops. I, huh? Due to hoops. I've been talking for the last couple of Mondays about how I'm going crazy over $5 sports gambling bets and how I don't think I can do it anymore because I don't like the kind of fan that makes me, and I also don't like to lose. And you casually tell me, like 90 seconds before the show, by the way, I had a pretty good day last night. How good was your day? Not bad. What did You made a bet last night and won. I made a bet, fell asleep last night, and woke up and won. How about how? that? So, okay. I, need I don't think it didn't come with a bunch of L's before that. I need the story. How much money did you put in? How much money did you make? And what was the bet? Little $5 wager turned out to be 200. 200 off a yeah. $5 bet? Yeah. What'd you Imagine do? Did that. you bet, did you bet some like 40 to 1 underdog to win last night? Or nope. did you, a, a 12 team parlay or what? A moderately crazy six leg parlay for, uh, the Bucks versus the Suns last night. Every leg of the parlay was in Bucks and Suns? Correct. What had to happen? I have to go back and check it. But the first one was the Suns had to win by eight points. Seven and a half was the, the spread I took. Okay, so you got that clearly. Yep. You needed Grayson Allen to okay, hit. Here we go. Um, okay. Bradley Beal, 20 and a half points. He got over clearly. Not sure what he ended up with. Kevin Durant, 24 and a half, which seems kind of low. Don't you think? Yes, but if Beal was playing, was Booker in last night too? I believe he was. Okay, well, you know, all three of them, that's hard. True, true. Um, Bradley Beal over one and a half, three made, threes made. Okay. Not too crazy. No. Grayson Allen over one and a half, threes made. Not too crazy. He shoots like 50% from three. Okay. And Giannis over one, three. Made. That's probably the one that was a little bit. You know, wishful thinking. But I saw him make it before halftime, so. So you went to, so you put five bucks in, you went to bed, had no idea that you won, woke up this morning, checked it, and realized you hit it big. Well, see, I saw Doc playing like Robin Lopez, so I thought they had a bunch of guys out, and Grayson Allen was just not going to play in the second half, so I thought that was definitely a loss, and what, okay, five dollar loss, whatever, I'll take it. But you hit Woke up to a nice surprise. 
lunch is on you next time. Mm-hmm. Like the last time, you know, when, when, when we went out on our Friday night, that night out there, you know, I, I, you know, I think I paid for your dinner and stuff and that's cool, but you're going to repay me at some point with a trip to Casey's bagels or something. You don't have to even out the price of that night, but if you're going to be Danny money bags here, you know, those of us, a bagel with cream cheese would be okay. Might need a couple more wins first. Tech says, I'm reporting that victory to the IRS. I don't believe, and this is serious, but I don't believe Over you $600 have, is the, Over $600, yeah, yeah. yes. I have been with people who have won, um, I have been with people who have won big at the, at the horse track, of, you know, down at Saratoga when I was, before I lived in Vermont, like I would go to Saratoga a decent amount, right? Like a couple times a summer. And, and I didn't really gamble on horses. Like I don't, find like any way to win in that right i'm not good at it i don't particularly find it fun to gamble on horses but i do like to go and hang out the experience and be with my buddies and all that but i've seen people win pretty big like in my group before and yeah you have to like fill out like an i like a tax form on site there before you even leave right yeah Yeah, before you even leave so um i think i was with a guy who hit for like two grand there before and I've seen people hit for like 1500 at a casino, and I don't know that that had to get declared on site, although I guess it probably did. But, yes, you don't have to report this stuff until 600 So the most I've ever won in any setting was like 480 so I never had to report anything either. But, you know, Danny, you go – Are you gonna? so what are you going to do now? Are you going to turn that 200 into something, or are you going to quit? What's, what's going to happen next? Probably a couple more. I'm not – I'm still not going to bet – Large amounts just because I want a large amount. I don't, I'm not like that. Some people like to just take all their winnings and put it right back into another bet. I'm not sure that's smart. Have you, um, you haven't Do you do that? I, I, I know people that do that. Uh, I don't do that. Yeah. No. I, I'm I not brave crazy. enough. I'm not brave enough to do that. Um, I'm also not smart enough to walk away instantly. Like, so if I had hit that 200, I probably would have like, you know, I'm willing to lose another 50 of it, right? Like, and yeah. then so I can walk away with 150 profit. Like, I, I'm not smart enough to walk away and stop cold turkey, but I am smart enough to not just throw it all on everything. Um, you haven't gotten to this episode of Seinfeld yet, and frankly, I don't remember what it is. It feels like it's about season seven or season eight, but George comes into some money somehow. I forget, I forget how actually. He's like, he comes into, $1,500 or something maybe, and Jerry says, what are you going to do with it? He goes, I feel like taking it down to the horse, you know, taking it down to Belmont or something to bet and like putting it all on a horse. And Jerry looks at him and goes, oh, so you want to lose it. <laughs> so that's, you know, I don't want to be that guy. But, uh, all right, eight, well, we're happy for Danny. So, yeah, lunch on Danny for us as a show uh, next time. So 802-585-3026, you can get in on the text line. Danny, let it go. Four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber, also Rouse's Point, New York. They are online at sixandstuff.com. Danny, as I usually say, right, two things can be true at the same time. One, the Boston Red Sox Netflix announcement today is cool. And is good for baseball. And on the other side of the coin, what the hell are the Red Sox doing? So if you didn't see this announcement earlier today, the Red Sox announced they are going to be part of a groundbreaking partnership with Netflix. Netflix is going to produce a 2004 Red Sox World Series winning documentary, kind of like a 30 for 30. That's great. We've seen that. The real news 
is that the Red Sox are also going to partner with Netflix on a full season-long docu-series in which Netflix is going to be given unparalleled access to Red Sox players, coaching staff, and executives behind-the-scenes footage, and they are going to produce a docu-series that takes you through an entire baseball season and, you know, puts it in a show form. And right, and, and we have seen camera crews that have been given access to teams. Now, when you look at like The Last Dance, right, that documentary that came out on the Bulls from, you know, 97, 98 or whatever it was, like that, there was unfettered access there, but that eventually came out 20 years later. This is going to come out next season, right? This is going to air in 2025, taking us through the 2024 season. I do believe this is good for baseball, right? Baseball needs younger eyeballs. Baseball needs more eyeballs. I think the idea of behind-the-scenes exclusive footage on a streaming platform is good for baseball, right? We've seen there's a golf series behind the scenes. There's a tennis series behind the scenes. So other sports that tend to be kind of buttoned up and sometimes we think a little exclusive and sometimes a little boring, other sports have done things like this. We have seen the success of The Last Dance. We have seen there's a quarterback series on Netflix that takes you behind the scenes from NFL quarterbacks. So things like this have worked and things like this are very, very popular. And well, I know they're not going to bash it because they're team employees. Several Red Sox players actually came out with a statement today and said they're excited for this. Right? Rob Ref Snyder was like, I'm excited to show how difficult a baseball season is and let people see it. Trevor Story said, I like the behind-the-scenes access and footage in other places and other sports, and I'm happy to see that be brought to baseball. Alex Cora says he thinks it's good for baseball. So I do believe this is good for baseball overall. Now, I don't love, and I don't know how you'd get around this, I wish it didn't have to air in 2025. Because I don't love the idea that it's not going to be current. Like, when we see it, it will be current. And I don't know when they're going to air it, right? Are they going to air it starting right when the season ends in October or in November? Are they going to air it next April? I don't know any of those details. imagine they need a lot of time to edit. They will, but, like, could you get the April episodes or the April content put together and then air that in October, whereas the stuff you shot in September doesn't have to air until next March? I don't know. Prefer a hard knocks type where you see week to week? Yes, I would. I think it would be better, right? And I don't watch hard knocks, so I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't, I don't have HBO, so I don't watch hard knocks. But at least in hard knocks, you are seeing things that are current. Right? Like, you're seeing things that are happening now. You're getting prepared to go through a season. You see what's happening in, in essentially real time. This is not going to be real time. There's a very real chance that Nick Pavetta is a huge part of the 2024 docuseries, and then Nick Pavetta is not on the team next year because Nick Pavetta is a free agent. So are we going to watch in 2025, about 2024, and a bunch of guys that are featured aren't there anymore, that's very possible over the course of a baseball season. Are we going to see interviews with guys in April of 2024 that ended up getting cut or ended up getting traded a month later? That seems possible, too. So I don't necessarily love the logistics of it, but clearly Netflix has figured out a way to do this right. They figured it out in football. They figured it out in um in tennis and in golf, so I will trust them. Those are just questions that I have initially. Good for baseball. Ultimately, it's good for the Red Sox in terms of just their marketing, right? Like Sam Kennedy said, 
this is basically the one of the biggest marketing initiatives we've ever done. If you're trying to regenerate your brand, right, put your brand out there again, and look, the Red Sox haven't won now for the last five years, which isn't a long time to me as a long-suffering sports fan, but is a long time to them now. If you're trying to get your brand out there again and get your brand out there in front of new fans and younger fans, being a part of this world is a good thing ultimately as well, right? You're going to create personalities. You're going to create characters. You're going to create likabilities. You're going to get the logo in front of there. I'm sure the Red Sox will sell more hats and T-shirts as a result of this project. So this is good for baseball. This is ultimately good for the Red Sox. That said, I said the second part of this coin is what the hell are you doing? And my, my frustration level reaches a fever pitch when I say this. Sam Kennedy said they've known about this project for 18 months. Said this project has been in the works for 18 months. If you have been working on this for a year and a half, and if you as Red Sox ownership and Red Sox front office personnel knew that this was coming, and this is supposedly one of the biggest marketing initiatives you've ever undertaken, why on earth have you not made the team more interesting? If you're going to have a camera crew follow the team and follow the personalities and have unfettered access for an entire season, why have you essentially given us a season that is going to be uninteresting? That is a serious business question for the business people. You're going to prop up this team, this team, this year, and you're going to show us a year-long documentary about this team, and it's going to be a team that what? Finishes last again for the third time in a row, for the third year in a row, for the fourth time in five years? You're going to have a camera crew follow this team all year long, and we're going to get personalities that you're going to end up trading away at the trade deadline for prospects because your team is garbage? I mean, what are the business people not getting here? Okay, the baseball fan in me hates that the team doesn't have Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell or hasn't gone out and gotten Jorge Soler yet. The baseball fan in me hates that there's not better players on this team. The business person in me says, how is the business that's trying to market itself giving the fans and the viewers the least marketable product it can? Because this team is not going to be that interesting. Okay, the Tristan Casas episode might be interesting because he is a trip. But beyond that, a bunch of minor league call-ups, a bunch of fifth starter types, a bunch of quad A pitchers, this is who we're going to focus the documentary on because that's what the team has? I do not like this. If you're going to make a commitment to putting yourself out there in this way, Make your team better. You knew it was coming. This didn't sneak up on anybody. You volunteered for this. You okayed this. You've been talking about this for a year and a half, and for two off-seasons in a row, you have essentially spit on the fan base and done nothing to help the team. Okay? You have traded away the team's best pitcher in Chris Sale, which I could justify, but you've traded away the team's best pitcher. You've given us Lucas Giolito, who is not a suitable replacement for for Chris Sale, when they're at their best, and you've done nothing else. We're going to follow around a team all year long, and that team is in last place. 
Yes, it's good for baseball overall. Yes, I'm sure it still is good for the Red Sox overall, considering the brand recognizability and awareness. But the team is not going to be good. Am I going to? I don't know how many episodes this thing is going to be. Are they going to put a whole season into eight episodes, into 12 episodes, into 20 episodes? I have no idea. But at some point, when we get to July in the calendar and the team is no longer relevant, and am I going to keep watching? I can tell you what I would do if this team went to the World Series and won it. I'd watch every step of the way. If this team got to the playoffs and won a division, I'd watch every step of the way. If this team ends up 74 and 88 and out of it by the trade deadline, what will be my point in watching from that point in their, in their footage forward? I don't know. Danny, I have not heard this piece of audio, but Gresh over at Gresham uh, Fourier on WEEI in Boston, he apparently had some complaints as well. Oh, well, you know, the people that go there are Red Sox Nation. We want it to be a destination for them, too. That's great. I love being compared to somebody who's allegedly flying in from Japan to come see the Red Sox and the Royals. We're not those people. That's the, that is grinding on me, Christian. Yeah. Is it, we're, we now, and I think Billy said it, and he nailed it off air. Stop talking to us like we're Taurus. So basically they're marketing to everybody else except for the real fans, except for the diehard fan base, the fan base that's been there since the beginning. Fair complaint. It's not my complaint. My complaint is just the team's not going to be good enough. Why would you want to follow, why would you want to allow yourself to be followed? when you're not going to be very, very good. Uh, Tex says, I think it's impre- – uh, let's see. Maybe Red Sox management got rights to decide what's in the documentary, and they get to edit out whatever they want based on how the season plays out. I think it's impressive the Red Sox managed to get Netflix to pay money for a documentary for a last-place team. That is – I don't know who has final cut on this. I, I would – I would imagine – the Red Sox have some say, right? Like, I would imagine the Red Sox have some say. I don't think the Red Sox get to dictate everything that's in or not in this in this documentary. What I think is that some of the players and coaches just might be more guarded over the course of a season, right? Like, baseball players are already largely guarded, right? They don't really give up a lot. Baseball players, look, it's not football. It's not basketball. You go through... 162-game season, 180 days, whatever, those guys generally don't give much. I imagine they won't give much up in this world either. So I don't know how much they'll think like really needs to be cut, but I imagine the Red Sox will get some say, but not all. That is just a guess. Tech says, bravo, Brady. The hell with their marketing initiative. I want a winner. Tech says, so do you want the Red Sox to replace their players with Hollywood actors to make themselves look better? Documentaries are reality-based productions, good, bad, or ugly. No, but what? if I knew as Red Sox management that I was getting followed for an entire year, wouldn't I have gone out and done things to make my team better and worth following? Wouldn't I have done things? Look, the Red Sox fan base is ready to mutiny. Do we really want a documentary documenting that i'm not out here looking to pay hollywood actors i'm thinking as a business person here hey if i'm going to showcase my business right think about it this way danny i've never sold a house
But then there's something in real estate called house staging, right? Have you heard of this, Danny? In general, I think, yeah. Okay. So when you're about to sell your house, you want to get as much money as you possibly can for your house. So when you show off your house, you clean it and you maybe paint it and you bring in outside furniture and you stage it and you let a professional do that because why? You want your product to look the best it possibly can, right? It may not be the best, but you want it to look the best, right? You want to take, you want to show off that product to a potential home buyer and say, man, I could see myself living here. And the Red Sox have an opportunity with this documentary to show off their brand, to make their brand desirable, to give it the best possible coat of paint that it possibly can, and it's chosen not to. It has chosen at its house showing to have nothing but patio furniture in there that's falling apart and nothing's been vacuumed and nothing's been cleaned and there's McDonald's wrappers wrapped up in the corner. That's where we're at right now with this thing. The Red Sox have a chance to make their team look as good as possible, make their product look as good as possible, and they've chosen not to do that. They could have got – look, Solaire would have helped from a baseball standpoint. Uh, uh, uh Montgomery, um, Montgomery and, and Snell making a big trade. All that stuff would have helped from a baseball standpoint. And oh, by the way, then it would have also helped in this world. I, I just, the Red Sox appear to be again completely unaware of their surroundings. It's this one. Look, I will watch it at least to a point, but when the team is no longer good, I'm sure there will be a point where I tone it out as a, as a fan as well. Tech says, um, do I even need to say it? Maybe the Red Sox could have assembled a team worth making a documentary about before booking Netflix. Ding, 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 bingo. Um, look, we're going to talk with Tom Karen of Nesson. We're going to do that at about 6.10. I had to talk to TC earlier this morning. TC and I spoke before this news came out. So you will not hear me ask TC about the Netflix documentary. I will talk to TC again next week. I will ask him about it. But... The conversation between TC and I today is all about baseball for the most part and not about this stuff. But this is incredibly frustrating to me. Absolutely. Just very, very frustrating that again, you have a chance to market your product and you have not done it. 802-585-3026. Danny, um, I know we're supposed to break. We don't really have time to break. So I want to get to something here that we, uh, that we don't have, you know, um, something that won't take us that long, something we can get to in this hour here before we go to uh, the CBS News update. The Celtics have made a trade today. The NBA trade deadline is tomorrow. The Celtics have made a trade. They have acquired forward Xavier Tillman from the Memphis Grizzlies. They are giving up two second-round picks and forward Lamar Stevens, who almost never plays. Now, Xavier Tillman is a 25-year-old player, six foot seven. He's averaging six points and nearly five rebounds a game for Memphis. Now he's only played in 34 games. He's not a great shooter. He's only 41% from the floor and 40 and 23% from three. He is good defensively. He is good defensively inside. And the Celtics allegedly have targeted bigger players. They have targeted front court players. Now, Danny, they didn't give up a lot, right? The two second-round picks were essentially worthless to me. The Celtics had eight second-round picks heading into this trade, so they give up two of them. They give up Lamar Stevens, a guy who never plays. They get a 25-year-old, small-ish, but plays bigger than his height player, 
six points, five rebounds. Your thoughts, Danny Hoops. Yeah, initially I'm like, I've heard of him, but I don't quite know his game. I know he has some size and, yeah, generally doesn't shoot. But I think it's more of just uh insurance kind of big man, switchable person out there because sometimes Kata is getting lost on defense. So you need somebody else out there. Maybe he can be helpful in that in that way. You know, it's interesting. I was reading a lot yesterday on the trade market. I was reading a lot on the buyout market. And, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds because the NBA contract structures are like hieroglyphics here. But the bottom line is the Celtics are unable to acquire any player who began the year making at least $13 million. So you're going to see the buyout market come up after the trade deadline. And you might see guys like Gordon Hayward get bought out. The Celtics cannot get him. You might see a guy like Kyle Lowry get bought out. The Celtics cannot get him. So they are kind of stuck in this world where they get guys that aren't making a lot of money or, you know, but I also saw Kelly Olynyk, old friend, you know, Kelly Olynyk available and, and he's with Utah right now and he's making like 12 and a half million. So he fits in that under 13 million. Saw a couple of other big guys, Andre Drummond having a fairly nice year right now for the Chicago Bulls. He's making about $4 million. So they could have, they could acquire him too. I don't know that this deal precludes them from doing one of those deals or from getting a, getting one of those guys if they're bought out, but, no matter how you slice it, Danny, the Celtics have been targeting big men, right? I heard about Drummond. I heard about Olenek. They're both power forward center types. And now Tillman's got a small forward, power forward-ish. I am surprised at the Celtics' desire to seemingly only be going after big guys. Because, frankly, for me, I think the biggest need on this team is a backup capable guard. I actually would be okay with Kyle Lowry if they could afford him. Because I look at it this way and say, the Celtics have a very good point guard in Drew Holiday. They have Peyton Pritchard who has his moments. But remember, they gave up Malcolm Brogdon over the summer and all this maneuvering, right? They they gave up a guy who was sixth man of the year. They gave up a guy who was a very good player, right? Not a star, but a very good player. I have been looking for them to have a competent guard that can be behind Holiday. That's not Pritchard. I, look, I don't dislike Pritchard's game, but I don't see him as a pressure player. I don't see him handling ball pressure all that well. And he's too small, I think, to really be on the court defensively for big minutes in the playoffs. I've been looking for them to have a competent backup guard, evidently, they want competent backup big men, and that has kind of surprised me, but I don't think it surprises you, Danny. Well, I think you're kind of leaving out Derek White, who handles the ball quite a bit, and they stagger his minutes with Drew, who can play the backup big That's fair. sometimes with the second unit. So I think in Joe's system, they feel like they have two capable ball handlers. Not traditional point guards, not Chris Paul, but how many of those exist anymore anyway? I mean, I guess I think about it like, in the playoffs, I just assumed the five on the floor. You know, you could talk about lineups. You could talk about staggering minutes. I would think the five on the floor, for the most part, are going to be Holiday, White, Tatum, Brown, and Porzingis. Now, yes, there's minutes for Horford. And, you know, yes, there's probably minutes for Hauser, at least early in a playoff round, but like, I would think that those five are going to be on the floor a lot. And 
I've just been looking for somebody to come in and kind of be that, you know, a sixth man guard. And if the five guys I've just laid out are on the floor, I don't really have a chance, you know, you're like, oh, Derek White basically is the fill-in for Holiday. Well, yeah, that's true, but I think they're going to be on the floor together a lot. When they're off, I need a point guard, and I don't feel like I have one. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like I've I've liked uh, Pritchard's production for the most part. Um, you know, you don't see it all in the stat line, but he's he's making a lot more winning plays than he used to. Tech says, I like this trade by the Celtics. Hopefully um, – Tillman can give players like Porzingis and Horford rest occasionally. If he plays big and rebounds on defense, if he scores, that's a bonus. So you, and I, I, I say this kind of jokingly, Danny, like you're not a Cornette guy, like, because I thought Cornette was doing this, right? Like if Cornette is a very good rebounder, if we're looking for somebody to just come in, play defense and rebound, I thought Cornette was already doing that, which gave me a reason why, another reason why, like, okay, we can go get a guard. I think Tillman's probably more switchable on defense. That is true. Yeah. Cornette is not a guy who can. You can't bring six, him out to the perimeter. He'll get yeah, cooked. Yeah, but Tillman's also six foot seven. Like he ain't gonna be down there. He's not gonna guard Embiid. I think regularly in the no. playoffs if no. Embiid is healthy. But um, that's p- part of why he's a backup. So he's gonna b- guard somebody's backup big if he Tex, plays. Tex says I like this addition on the bench. Smooth acquisition. Um, he played at Michigan State under Tom Izzo. Danny, real quick, do you think this move is more about? what the Celtics need for themselves or a response to what other teams have. Like you look at Cleveland and you say, okay, they've got Mobley and uh, what's it say? They got two seven footers there and Jared Allen. Do you think they just think they need more size for more matching up with other teams? Or do you think they just made a move like this because they need it themselves? I think it was more of their own need. Yeah. Okay. Well, we will uh, continue to talk about it. Trade deadline. Is tomorrow. We'll get to the Patriots talk. That's next from the Super Bowl on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here at WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. We'll get to Tom Karen in, in just a few minutes uh, talking Red Sox. Again, I spoke to TC earlier today, so. We can uh, play that kind of when we want to. We'll get to it here within the next 10 minutes. I do want to talk about the Patriots briefly in a second, but uh, I want to wrap up our Celtics conversation. Danny, I asked you right before the commercial break, do we think that the Celtics made the move for a big man and want big men because kind of their own deficiencies or because that's the kind of guys that we're going to see, you know, later in the playoffs? I spoke to Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio earlier today. He thinks it's more of a matchup thing. Well, if you're going to bring in an Andre Drummond or, or Drummond or Kelly Olynyk, that's a big man that can guard the rim. And if you have to deal with teams that can get those paint touches, either with guards or big men, I mean, Milwaukee, they're still struggling a little bit with Doc Rivers. I firmly believe they're going to figure that out. But look at Cleveland, for example. They've been the best team in the NBA the last 15 games, winning 14 out of the last 15. They may be small in the backcourt, Darius Garland, and also when it comes to Donovan Mitchell. But they got two frontline guys that are at least seven feet when you have to deal with Mobley and also have to deal with, uh, with Jared Allen. I wonder, Danny, if there is a world, and again, we don't know if they're going to get Olenek or Drummond or somebody like them. If they do, though, either in trade or buyout, I wonder if there is a world where in the playoffs they would play a traditional big man and then play Porzingis more at the four. Now, I guess it would also depend on what the other team is doing at the four, because, you know, Porzingis is not a traditional perimeter defender. But I, do you think there's any chance they could go double really big come playoff time? 
I think Joe's even experimented with that with he's put Luke Cornett seven two and Porzingis seven three on the floor at the same time and it looks weird, but uh they keep Cornett basically in the paint and let Porzingis roam and it's worked out pretty well. Uh, well I don't know if he's gonna do that in the playoffs against Embiid, but yeah, there's always a chance for that. Well, again, and you know what? I was looking at the uh, article I read last night. I was looking at the commercial break, and I just mentioned, again, buyout candidates, trade candidates. And I understand the buyout market largely is guys who are more name than game at this point, right? The buyout market is kind of a who's who of who was really good five years ago or who is on a really bad team that they might want to get out of a contract. The guy on that list who intrigues me, again, and I know more name than game, is Patty Mills. Now, Danny, he's making like $6 million this year. The Celtics can't afford him. He's currently on the Atlanta Hawks, who we're going to see tonight. He's 35 years old. He's averaging three points a game. He's only played in 18 games out of 50 or so. I know there's not a lot left in the tank. But if I'm looking for, in the playoffs, an experienced guy to come in and I trust him to handle ball pressure and make the right decision and give the guys, you know, put guys in the right play and play point guard. And can he give me eight minutes a game in the playoff? That's kind of the guy I'm looking at. Like, I, I never expect the buyout market to yield me someone that's going to get me 17 and eight. But what I think this team needs is a backup true point guard. Patty Mills is like the guy on that list that intrigues me. Now, we heard – from our guy Ben Steiner over at Fast Break on Fan Nation a couple weeks ago, that like, hey, Tyus Jones might be available in Washington. Well, okay, he is is better. And so if they could get him, like, that would be great. But if you're giving me kind of this crop of, um, you know, this crop of buyout candidates, Patty Mills is not unappealing to me. He's not bad. I'm not sure what he brings that Pritchard – doesn't, but maybe Confidence. playoff experience. That's it. Confidence and experience. I'd look to be to be straight. I I don't trust Pritchard in the playoffs, and I think it's that simple. And I don't trust him against great ball pressure. And Danny, you can correct me if I'm wrong because you're watching these games with a degree of of intensity that I am not. Right, I'm watching a little more impartially you're watching as a diehard fan so you're gonna have a different perspective when i see pritchard have to execute the point guard position in a big game or in a big moment or against an elite defender it just kind of looks like a struggle like he just looks like a guy who is using all of his energy to kind of be on the floor and if he was a stand if he could be a standstill jump shooter in the corner I'd like him a lot better in that role, but he's not big enough to be that role. As a primary ball handler, I just think in the playoffs, it just, it looks difficult for him at times. And there would be a degree of calmness and confidence that would come from Patty Mills in that role for me. You can tell me I'm crazy, but that is how my eyes see I'm just not sure even if Patty can defend really well another guard at 35 years old. I know Pritchard can defend. Not like guards that are a foot taller than him, but he can defend. What do you think about the Tyus Jones idea? I mean, that that's obvious. That obviously is he affordable? Is I I know he's a solid player. Um, I'd have to look at the exact money that he's making, but 
Look, he is averaging 12.2 points a game right now. He's playing for Washington. He's a guy, look, at his last game out, so the fourth against the Suns, he had 14 points and eight assists. So certainly a guy who could kind of do what we're asking him to do. Um, I know Memphis really liked him when they had him. So Yeah. And yeah, he's a good player. He was at Minnesota before that, right? He's the one from, from Duke. Um, he is making... Of course, this doesn't want to tell me what he's making. I have to, I'd have to pull it back up. But I think that he is, I think that he is affordable. Um, Keith will tell us. Keith Smith. He is making, he is making 14 million. So he can't get bought out and acquired by the Celtics. I suppose he could be traded for, but you would have to. Well, trade deadlines in less than 24 hours. So I'm not sure that's happening. The Celtics cannot acquire – I'm looking at the trade simulator now. The Celtics cannot acquire him at all because they are over the luxury tax threshold. Okay, so good talk. That idea is going to be gone. But Patty Mills, I, I guess it just – I just don't trust Pritchard. I just don't trust Pritchard. And, and that's fair. Nobody's going to trust him until he does it, but he's been playing really well this year. We'll see what the playoffs bring. All right, 802-585-3026. Again, Tom Karen's going to come up here. In a couple of minutes, I did want to get to a couple of Patriots-related things, um, and I want to bring this to the text line also. How long should it take the Patriots to rebuild? Right, Patriots are going to go through a rebuild process here, right? New coaching staff. They're, we think they're going to have a new quarterback. How long should it take for the Patriots to rebuild? Tom Kern of NBC Sports Boston says four years, Danny. Well, that's how it works. It's four years. You change a regime, it's always going to be four years until you really have everything in place from your scouting to your personnel to your culture to your quarterback to your systems. It takes four years. Now, did that happen with the Patriots and Bill Belichick? No, it didn't. They were 5-13. and 13. Tom Brady took over, and they actually got great traction. But as Belichick said, we weren't who we wanted to be until 2004. So sometimes you could fast-track it, and I think the Houston Texans did too. But the Texans have been building as well. They got the quarterback and they got the head coach, but that program was in place with Nick Casario. So Four years, Danny. And I, I guess – and I don't mean to be coy, and I don't mean to straddle a fence. I guess the first – Thing I have to wonder is the first thing I have to ask, and I will ask you, Danny, what do you consider the definition of a rebuild? Do you consider, you know, the rebuild being when they get competitive again and can be in the playoffs? Or do you consider it when can they be championship caliber? I guess that's the first question. Contenders, I guess, or at least making the playoffs. Okay. So I tend to think this. I think it should take the Patriots two years to be playoff viable. Like, that I think they can win a game in the playoffs. I think that should take two years. As far as them being a true, real, real contender, three years. Tom Curran can tell me it takes four. I've waited too long. Okay, in today's NFL, I've seen teams go from worst to first. I've seen teams go from really bad to really good really, really quickly. I think two years to be playoff viable, meaning we can win a game in the playoffs, I think that's fair, right? I don't expect the Patriots to be the Houston Texans from last year instantly and go 10-7 and and win a division and have a home playoff game. I do not expect that. Do I think next year that they could come back from 4-13 and and go – 
seven and ten and be interesting, maybe go eight and nine. Yeah, I do. I think that's a perfectly fair possibility. Is it an expectation? No, but it's a perfectly fair possibility. So I give you two years to get to the playoffs and be relevant, right? Two years. I think by year two of my rookie quarterback, you could be going 10 and 7, 11 and 6, win a playoff game, be in contention for a division. Joe Burrow and the Bengals got to the Super Bowl in his second year. So it can be done, right? It can be done. We've seen what Brock Purdy has done two years. Now, again, he's starting from a better spot than the Patriots are, but I have seen teams turn things around very, very quickly. I don't need you to be Super Bowl relevant in two years. I need you to be Super Bowl relevant in three years, though. We talk all the time about the quarterback's rookie contract, right? Five-year rookie contract. Once you get past three years, now we're looking at the other side and paying somebody $50 million again. We look at wasting the quarterback's rookie window. I can't waste it. Year one, we set the foundation and we build. You're better than you were a year ago. We get out all the mistakes. Year two, we are playoff contenders. Over 500 playoff contenders, and I think you can win a game. Not like we're the seven seed and we're getting blown out by 30. We think you can win a game year two. Year three, you better be contending for the division. You better, therefore, be contending for a top four seed in the playoffs. And when you're there, you're a Super Bowl contender. So I don't want to hear about four years. I don't need to hear, oh, they need to win the Super Bowl next year because Houston got to the playoffs. No. Two years playoff viable, three years Super Bowl contender. I think that's perfectly fair. And in today's NFL, um, in today's NFL, I, I four years is asking too much. Joe in Richmond says, I think realistically I agree with Current. It's going to take three to four years to rebuild this team because the way they're built and they have so many holes, it's going to take a while. That Look, you have $65 million in free agency. Right now you have you're picking at the top of every round. You can make a lot of headway this year. If you have the right head coach and you have the right quarterback and then you spend correctly and you draft correctly, it can get really good really fast. Also remember, you know, next year you're going to get Christian Gonzalez back or you're going to get Matt Judon back or you're going to get Ramondre Stevenson back. You're going to get some players back. And I know you can't ever count on anybody to be healthy in the NFL, but you're going to get players back that you didn't have available to you this year. So, again, I won't put the pressure on to make the playoffs right away next year, but they could be in the discussion next year. Two years, they have to be. Three years, Super Bowl contender. Tech says, uh, agreed, two years. Detroit and Cincinnati fixed themselves in that time frame. Not everyone can be this year's Texans. Look, the Lions are a good example, right? The Lions, they had some pieces, but Dan Campbell gets to the playoffs in, he got to the playoff, he got to the NFC title game in his third year, right? Now they didn't get to the playoffs in year two. But they were the hottest team in football by the time the season ended in his year two. They get to the playoffs in year three. They get to the NFC title game. They very well should be in the Super Bowl. That's fair. That's where the Patriots should be. Cincinnati was in the Super Bowl in two years. So I don't want to hear about four-year rebuilds. I've already dealt, as far as I'm concerned, with a four-year rebuild that didn't go well. I'm not, I can't go through a second one. I can't go eight years in between, you know, playoff victories or playoff appearances or seven years of playoff appearances. I, no, not, that's not acceptable. Not acceptable. It's a Brady Farkas show.
on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, earlier in the day, I spoke to Tom Karen of Nesson. So you won't hear any talk about the Red Sox Netflix documentary. That came out actually about a half an hour after we spoke. TC and I talked about a lot of great stuff as we get ready for spring training, which is about one week from now. Actually, it's exactly one week from now for pitchers and catchers in Fort Myers. I started off by saying, TC, how are you? Doing well, Brady. How you doing? I am doing well as well. Theo Epstein back in the Fenway Sports Group. Game-changing update that will save the Red Sox or PR stunt that will get people off John Henry's back? Yeah, I don't think it's a PR stunt because he bought into it. It's not like he got hired. Right. I mean, he he bought into the group and invested and became an owner. Uh, so I, it's not a PR stunt. Is it a game saving move for 2024? I, you know, I would say absolutely not, except for the fact that stop me if you've heard this one before. Jordan Montgomery and Blake Snell are still available. Uh, <laughs> is Theo the the wallet whisperer? Is he the guy who can convince the rest of his fellow owners now? to uh, open up the purse springs and send a little more, the strings and send a little more. I, I don't know. I do know that he is highly respected. I do know there are people within the organization who feel that a little more attention needs to be paid to exactly what this team is 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 doing, what the organization is doing with the Red Sox on the field, and that Theo Epstein is yeah, uniquely qualified to help advise in that area. How's the balance work, right? He's friends with Breslow. He helped Breslow get this job. He clearly doesn't want to step on Breslow's toes, but he has the ability to kind of, you know, be the closer on a deal or go to John Henry with some insight and things like that. How does he go about navigating his position in the building without kind of stepping on Breslow's toes? Yeah, I mean, this is just my conjecture because, I, you know, I haven't asked Theo that. But I do know this, right? Look, two, two things to look at. One, he is virtually best friends with Sam Kennedy. Okay, they've been good friends since since Brookline when they were young. And and so, you know, he's got the full faith of the president and CEO of the organization. But to Breslow, he's not just the guy who hired him. He was his mentor. Like he taught him everything Breslow learned at the beginning about how to work in a front office. I've said all along, much like when Alex Cora first came in as as a manager and they had Ron Renneke with him as uh, an experienced former manager, that, that Craig Breslow needed somebody like that by his side, an advisor. I think that's what Theo is. I, I don't think he's going to tell Craig Breslow what to do, but I think Craig Breslow has an idea or or there's a clear issue going on with roster construction. I think Theo might have suggestions and certainly be able to nudge him and then be able to take that idea and run it down the hallway to the owners or, or jump on a G5 and go meet the owners and uh, and discuss whether it's worth it. So I do think there's value there, no doubt about it. Do you think there's some kind of – is this the beginning of an ownership succession plan? No, I don't see that at all. I don't. I know that uh, – Sam was kind of cryptic on Monday when he when he said this is a stop on the way to his next stop. Uh, and I, I do think I, I, you know, much like if you think about John Henry owned a little piece, he had one percent of the Yankees was his sort of dipping right uh, his foot into the water. And then he went on to be the Marlins owner. And then he had to divest all that to become the uh, the Red Sox owner. Could I see Theo ultimately being a bigger part of an ownership group elsewhere? Yeah. Uh, he's not moving back here. He's staying in Connecticut where he lives now. Uh, so he's not coming to town to take a job 
but I, from what I've been told, you know, and it's been out there, he's going to help with the Liverpool decision on a new manager. He's going to throw ideas into the mix for the Penguins and wherever they go next. Uh, but no, I don't think he's stepping in to, to become the new owner of the Boston Red Sox. Tom Caron, Red Sox Bruins insider at Nesson with us here in the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEV Radio.com. Um, you predicted it last week. You said, come back to me this week. I bet the Red Sox have done nothing. And here we are. The Red Sox have done nothing. Um, well, so they hired Theo. It's the biggest signing of the offseason. That's I mean. true. They hired Theo. So, so Lair is still out there reportedly talking with the San Francisco Giants now, as is Matt Chapman and others. And, you know, it, TC, we got a week to go until until spring training. Somebody's going to blink, right? Like the Red Sox are going to blink or free agents are going to blink because they're getting antsy and the Red Sox are going to get a steal. But they got to get something, don't they? I think so. And I, I thought, you know, Alex Spear put, a, a, put it together really well. I think it was yesterday in the Boston Globe that, you know, when you talk about bridge years and, and, and trying to continue building the prospect base without going all in, Teams have become, you know, pretty big buyers of one-year contracts that they can flip at the deadline for more prospects, right? So, so wouldn't Solaire fit? You know, if you go get someone like Solaire now uh, for a couple of years, whatever it's going to be, uh, and you're not better than you were hoping, then you flip a guy like that at the deadline. I mean, maybe there's a no uh, no trade clause that's getting in the way of that. Who knows? Uh, but then, you know, you can flip Giolito at the deadline. So that, that's not a bad deal, right? It, it, same with Montgomery. Now, I'm, listen, to me, it's all Montgomery. I, I'm still, I, I'm not giving up hope until Montgomery signs somewhere that, because everybody in the world, except for the Boston Red Sox, seems to understand the best landing spot for him, the team that needs him both, most is the Red Sox. Giolito to the Red Sox makes all the sense in the world. And so until he signs, I'm keeping the home fires burning. You know, I've been reading all around baseball about these teams inviting their top prospects to spring training, non-roster invitees, Jackson Holiday, baseball's number one prospect, going into camp with the Orioles. Looks like he might make the team. Have we seen a Red Sox list? Do we know, like, is Marcelo Meyer going to be in big big league camp? Have we heard that stuff yet? Yeah, it came out a, a week or two ago, I want to say, maybe okay. around the time they had the rookie development program in Boston. Uh, he was not on the list. Meyer was not on the list. Now, I think that's because he's coming off the injury. Right. Right. I just don't think there's any need to ramp him up more than you need to. Uh, Nick York was on the list, so that's a big step for him. Uh, I'd have to go back and find out who else was there. Not a lot of uh, surprising names. Uh, obviously, uh, Rafaela's already here. Uh, pretty sure Teal was not, but, but Nick York was the guy that, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, popped off that list as to who's coming. TC, I hate rankings. I refuse to engage and talk about rankings usually, but Tristan Casas did get put on the MLB network top 100 players list heading into 2024. And that kind of dovetails what we said last week that we think he's headed for a, for a big year. And certainly now he's getting the respect and notoriety that comes with at least our projections. Right. And I, you know, again, I was looking at the, uh, the zips, the fan graphs this morning. And they actually have him taking yeah, pretty much a lateral step, but kind of the same numbers, even a little less production than last huh. year, which surprised me. Uh, I'm, I'm bullish, as I've told you. I think, I think it's becoming his team. Uh, I think he becomes the young star and leader who takes the pressure off Rafael Devers. I, I think, you know, we're going to – but Rafael Devers is the best player on this team. I don't think that's going to change. 
Uh, but he doesn't want to be the face of the franchise, even with the contract. That's just not in his makeup. So, so let him just go be a superstar. Let somebody else be the lightning rod and, and the guy who, who's in the media all the time. And I think that becomes uh, Casas as we move forward. Maybe other guys. Bayo as a pitcher wants to grab some of that. It looks like Story as the veteran will, I think, kind of be the Justin Turner of last year. All of that is to say, I think Casas is going to have a big year. I'm bullish on Listen, a week from today, when I talk to you next Wednesday, I will be standing in Fort Myers watching mm-hmm. pitchers and catchers work out. Okay, at some point, we're going to finally stop talking about who they didn't bring to the camp, who they didn't sign. And we're going to talk about who was here. And when we do that, like the guys I'm really excited for as position players this year are Casas, Story, and, and to a lesser degree, Jaron Duran, just to see if he could be healthy and pick up where he was last year. Those three guys are at their best. It's a pretty good lineup. And then for pitchers at this point next year, to me, it's, it's Pavetta. It's all about – now, Whitlock, I think, is going to have a great year. I'm, I'm high on him after seeing what he, he, he just he sculpted after an offseason that he was healthy and could work out. But Pavetta's the guy who, if he can give you 31 starts, like he did a couple of years ago, lower ERA maybe with that sweeper that he added at the end, uh, it'll go a long way towards stabilizing the rotation. But Casas and Pavetta, to me, might be the two most important guys on this team. So, you know, we don't, the, the off season is incomplete, so we don't really get to have this conversation, but I was just kind of thinking about it in my head earlier. Um, Duran leadoff, Devers two, Story three, Costas four, O'Neill five, Yoshida six. Does that sound like the fair top six right now? Yeah, it's not bad. O'Neill could lead off with, with the speed as well True. if they want to keep the pressure off Duran. But I like Story in that three-hole because I like breaking up the lefties. I think that's going to be the key, right? If Story can find his swing again, and it was awful last year. He was underwater, okay? But he says he's figured it out, and, you know, he's healthy now. So why argue that? Because when he's been healthy, he's been really good. Uh, it, that that three, four, five, uh, two, three, four rather could be legit, right? Devers, Story, Casas. And then you need some protection behind him. And, and that's why I like O'Neill there, if that's the way it goes. Uh, but that, that you know, Abreu could be hiding in the weeds somewhere, sure. you know, giving you some production. Uh, I, I like Grissom a lot. Again, you take the pressure off a 22-year-old, let him play every year. I like the lineup. I really do. I, I think Yoshida has a good second year. Uh, it's the pitching. We know that. But I like the lineup. And I think there's enough balance there right left to make it work. A guy I almost never ask you about and a guy I may not ask you about again you know, until opening day is Rob Ref Snyder. Like we have so much talk about should they get Solaire and should they get Duvall and they need a right-handed hitting outfielder. I'm almost like they have so many outfielders and now we're looking for right-handed hitters. I'm like, Ref Snyder signed this contract extension, but it's almost like he's the forgotten man and I don't quite know what his role is in 2024. He's on the roster, but I don't know what his role is. Well, it's going to be the same. It's going to pass. He's going to be like a, a number five outfielder, but he's going to start against lefties a lot. Uh, the guy rakes against lefties. He's one of the best hitters in baseball against If lefties. they get Duvall and they've got O'Neill or Solaire, how many? If they, I think that's, and I think, yeah, I think that's why they haven't gotten one of those guys. I really do. I, I think if they're going to do that, it's going to be because there'll be a trade uh, that'll, that'll move one of these guys because gotcha. you can't keep them all. And, and I, you know, Last year, we talked a lot about this. And I think you look around baseball, there's, there's, I've heard that, and I haven't done the deep dive on it yet. I got time for that coming up. But this is, could be one of those years where a lot of teams have to move guys at the end of camp, right? Because there's a lot of 40-man roster issues. Yeah, teams go out and sign a bunch of 40-man. 
So, so you know that you you round up all the uh, the outfielders you can for camp, and then uh, and then you got to move one for a reliever or whatever before the beginning of the season. You do it. TC, you're the best. Next time we talk, you'll be in Fort Myers. Travel safe. Enjoy your Bean Pot Championship. I know a couple of pretty good semis this week, so uh, enjoy that. And uh, we'll talk to you from Florida next week. Gonna be a good one. Thanks. Looking forward to it. That's Tom Karen, our Red Sox insider over at Nesson. Now I'm out next week. Um, Tuesday through Thursday, we will talk to TC. It will just be on Friday of next week, just so everybody knows. We will talk to TC next Friday live from Fort Myers. He'll be with us uh, again uh, again on Friday. Right now it's 6.32. we got to get a break in here before we get to uh, high school basketball. We'll come back. We'll finish out the show and tell you what you need to know uh, as we continue our conversation about the Super Bowl and looking at the Patriots ahead of the uh, big game as well. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here at WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. couple uh, news and notes that just, you know, just came across uh, came across here on social media about the Red Sox documentary project. This comes from Jen McCaffrey of The Athletic. The initial talks about this documentary did not include the Red Sox, but were more focused on a way to use Netflix's platform to grow interest in baseball. At the time of the talks, Netflix had just produced a popular documentary on Formula One racing called Drive to Survive that created immense interest in that sport. So the Red Sox were not the initial basis of this. It was really just about baseball in general. And two, the Red Sox are not being paid for this. And do I, do I really care about that? No. The Red Sox are going to use this as a marketing initiative. I think they're going to do well in that regard. But, again, I still wish they had given a uh, a, a better team here to this product, right? Like, if you're going to follow a team for a year, then make me watch it a year after the fact. I would have liked to have seen it be worth watching. Um, Danny, I'm going to have you go on the Internet computer that's right next to you and go to the Jones and Mago with Arcan Twitter account. This is the account for the show that's on right now, actually, at WEEI in Boston. They just had Brian Scalabrini on, and of, of you know, of the Celtics of NBC Sports Boston, and I think it's at w, uh, WEEI, I mean, for a Jones and Mega with Ark. And they just had Scal on. He was talking about that trade we spoke about earlier today about the Celtics acquiring Xavier Tillman. Uh, let me hear what Scal has to say. That's right, but that's I don't know if that is or not. That's why I kind of feel like star players, like you got to think. You gotta warm up. You gotta stretch out. You gotta mentally be. It's not like you could just show up and, and, and shoot some threes. Like it's, I think it's really tax. Okay. That's a different scale cut, isn't it? Yes. If you look at the most recent Jones and Mayo. Not most recent. That's why you threw me off. Oh, it's not the most recent? No. Nope. Well, it just came across. It just they got good producers there. How uh, do you feel about the Tillman move yeah. and what do you think they have left to do, if anything? I mean, I think they're looking for multiple bodies that can guard position so if there's a if there's a way that they think you know you just want a lot of extra bodies during the playoffs I think you look at our core group I feel pretty strongly about our core group but you never know if a guy kind of goes down with an injury and so from with that injury you have to you know whether it's one game you know a sprained ankle it could be a quarter it could be a half you have to have guys to kind of carry that load so I think they're looking for big guys, like kind of, I say big, I mean just like versatile wings with uh, uh, defensive versatility. So I'm I'm fine with it. So that's kind of what you were saying, Danny. You think Insurance. Tillman is their defensive ability 
switchability, and Scal says it correctly, defensive versatility. So we're not looking for Xavier Tillman to come in and be a guy who can score 10 points a game. We're not looking for him to be a guy who can get 10 rebounds a game. You're looking for a guy who, as Scal says, can kind of be an extra body, can be a just-in-case contingency insurance plan, and also a guy who is not a defensive liability. And I am interested to see if over the course of the next, I don't know, 18 hours or so before the trade deadline hits, I'm interested to see if the Celtics will go out and acquire and acquire a more traditional big man, right? They're looking for size. They're looking for front court depth. Do they want an Andre Drummond who is a true center, who's a rebounder and a shot blocker, but is not a positionless player? Do they want a Kelly Olynyk who is more anchored to the basket? Maybe, you know, not as much as Drummond, but is more anchored to the basket, whereas Tillman truly looks like, okay, he can guard three positions on the floor. I'll be interested to see if they think Tillman is enough and if they value that versatility as much or if they still want a more traditional size piece. I like the idea of having an Andre Drummond. He's not making a lot of money. I don't think he would cost a lot. Um in terms of what to give up. I like the idea of a guy, like, if you're looking for a guy to body Jared Allen, if you're looking for a guy who can body up uh, at Mobley for Cleveland, if you're looking for a guy who might be able to body up Embiid for a possession or two, a guy like Drummond is a guy that I actually like. We'll see if they value somebody like that who's more of an anchor to the post or if they just like what they've done with Tillman. I think that's enough. Do you like the idea of Drummond, Danny, as long as it doesn't cost much in terms of what they're giving up? I don't mind Drummond. I know Scal has not liked Drummond in the past, even though he's been, you know, at times like 20 points, 20 rebounds a night kind of guy. He just Why thinks is he doesn't, that? he doesn't impact winning is what Scal constantly keeps, you know, saying about him. Yeah, but I don't need him to impact winning now, right? I need him right. to be an impact for a small period of time. I, you know, like remember when they got Greg Monroe a couple of years ago? And he played like four games, yeah. I mean, you know, like, but that's like what I like. It, it, that's the kind of the thing I'm equating this to. Like, I don't need him to be an impact player. I don't need him to live up to some prior back of his basketball card numbers. I'm just not sure he's the defender he used to be, or even he's, close. He's having a fairly good season, actually. And the Bulls. The thing that's interesting too is like the Bulls, though, are like in the race. Like we can mock their chances, but they're in the playoff race right now. Through the play-in tournament, do they value Drummond enough to help their own run versus... Levine's out for the year, so I think they know they're done. Levine is out for the year, but still, they are, you know, they're in a playoff spot or, or close to a playoff spot. Now, he's played 51 games this year, Danny's playing 16 minutes a game. He's averaging 8 points a game in 16 minutes, and he's also averaging 9 rebounds in 16 minutes. I, I mean, that sounds pretty appealing. I don't need him to play 16 good. minutes. But can he play eight minutes and get me five points and five boards? Can he play some defense down low? I'd be okay with it, provided it's not a huge cost. Um, I spoke to Freddie Coleman earlier. I spoke to Tom Karen earlier. Go download those interviews on the podcast channel. They will be up momentarily. Danny's going to have the full show podcast up momentarily as well. High school basketball, Linden and Montpelier boys. That's coming up next. Brent Curtis is on the call from the home of the Solons. We will see you tomorrow here on the Brady Farkas Show with Buster Olney on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com.